So if you've been a longtime listener of CCR, you know that the Mystery Camera Challenge is something of a staple for our group, and this time around, decided to do something a little bit different. I sort of looked at the shooting styles and cameras of the various co-hosts I have, and picked cameras out of my own collection that would be completely an antithesis to their shooting style and camera style. So roll the intro and we can get into it. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. So the first camera I selected was for my good friend James Lee, and James Lee is known for precision, high quality, like top, top shelf optics. But the one thing that he mentioned to me once that is he never shot a Holga. And I thought, why not get the bare bones, basic plastic, single element lens Holga and let him go for it. So, James. All I have to say is I remember every little thing as if it happened only yesterday. Parking by the lake and there was not another car in sight. And I never had a girl looking better than you did. And all the kids at school, they were wishing they were me that night. And now our bodies are so close and tight, it never felt so good, it never felt so right. <laughs> and we're glowing like the metal on the edge of a knife, glowing like the metal on the edge of a knife. Come on, hold on tight. I can't sing, so I'm just going to read it. But my Holga cherry has been officially popped. Well, after that, more than my film needs to be rinsed. <laughs> Wash your ears, people. Get out the uh, brain bleach. Time for some serious agitation. <laughs> uh, so I shot my Holga for the first time ever today. Did it come quick? <laughs> it always does at this age, Bill. It always does at this age. And that's because the frequency is extremely low at this age. So Alex sitting there laughing. He's, he's father with child, so his days are numbered, if you know what I mean. <laughs> And that number is decreasing steadily. <laughs> for those of you who have been wishing for another Zoom episode, I think we're, we've arrived. <laughs> okay, so back to reality. The Holga. Uh, I enjoyed shooting it, you know. Um, like Alex said, you know, I've been a, a professional wedding and portrait shooter for a, a long time, uh, you know, which really means, you know, you want to succeed in that business. You need you need to have tools that are capable of producing images that the market demands. Um, and a lot of that is very, very sharp, uh, high quality glass uh, camera systems where you can control several aspects of how you want that image to come out um, and to set you up with a lot of consistency. That is pretty much the exact opposite of what a Holga will offer you. So I, I would say, Alex, you hit that nail squarely on the head. Um, so we took a little walk around uh, downtown Milton earlier today, and I got an opportunity to shoot my first Holga, to load my first Holga, to hold my first Holga. Um, and you know what? Uh, those of you that shoot Holga... You know, you can you can uh, fast forward to the next segment, uh, but those that don't, um, yeah, you know what? It, it's obviously extremely simple. I would say um, 
certainly harkens back to or took me back anyway to what i felt was a little a sense of purity around photography like you know single lens you know no shutter speed uh a couple you know some some uh what i'm guessing are uh uh, some aperture settings to control the depth of field and focus on some of the images. And it had, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm guessing a, um, uh, what are those, Westinghouse? Is that what they're called? The the, the aperture? Waterhouse. Waterhouse, Waterhouse. I'm sorry. Yeah. Westinghouse, that's an appliance for crying out loud. I, which I, I suspect it has like a Waterhouse type of aperture inside that you yep. switch from either sh- uh, sh- shade or, or bright sun settings, mm-hmm. which, you know, is probably... You know, one or two stop difference. F8, F16. Yeah, so one stop difference probably. Um, you know what? Uh, all you really focus on is composition. Hmm. You know, and 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 that's what I mean by it. It brings back a sense of, of purity, I guess, to photography, if if, if you will. Um, certainly, I don't want to open up a whole can of worms of, of debating what's pure or not in photography. Uh, if it's a photograph, guess what? It's a photograph. photography. It's photography. Move on. Um, so, yeah, you know what? Uh, I went through uh, a roll of 120, so 12 images, uh, 6 by 6 um, Probably the the fastest I ever have in my life. Um, and simply because I'm like, oh, that's cool. Let's shoot it. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what the uh, images look like. I loaded up a roll of RPX 100 in it. Um, it's a bright sunny day outside today and I found some interesting things to shoot and, um, yeah, you know what they say toy camera and it definitely has that toy camera feel this version. Uh, I'm not even sure what version it was. Um, but it was the one with the plastic lens. Um, you know, it's Alex's camera. He's mentioned that it doesn't really have any, um, uh, significant light leaks in it. Uh, but I am very interested to see, uh, what the lens distortions and things like that will look like. Um, and I bet dollars to donuts, I'll probably end up uh, with a, a Loga, a Holga in my uh, collection uh, in short order after developing the film. So I'm really looking forward to it. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I recommend, you know, if, if you're someone like me who's been, you know, shooting pretty much high end equipment most of the time and you want to kind of take a break, do a little something different, um, you know, Kind of, it's like throwing darts, I guess, um, in a sense that, you know, you kind of wait and see what kind of images you, you, you get back. And certainly, you know, once you do that a few times, you'll see how the, the optics um, behave on that particular camera. And then you can utilize that to your advantage or disadvantage <laughs> um, as you shoot it again. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the images. And I, I recommend going out and getting yourself something, you know, it's less than 100 bucks to have a little bit of fun with it. So. And the nice thing is that you can buy new Holgas. So the Holga production ended, and then the folks at Freestyle went and purchased a lot of the IP and convinced another company to start producing the um, the camera again. And so the one you have is actually one of the new production cool. ones. But you can still purchase, and there are a ton of Holgas out there. There's Pinhole Panoramics. There are 35 millimeters, there's one with glass lenses, there's one with built-in flashes with color filters on them. Like This is like pure lamography outside of getting an original LCA. Um, And I don't take it out that often, but when I do, I'm always happy with the results. 
So, and that seems to be similar a similar sentiment that that you hear from the Holga community. So it's almost like a subculture within the film shooter culture. Oh, within film photography, there's yeah. a subculture within subculture. Yeah, and, and it, it's like there. And I've seen some of the uh, uh, some images, Holga images that other photographers put out there, and it's really cool shit. Mm. Like you know, so those that haven't tried it, like me, give it a shot. Yeah. And the uh, other person who was equally easy to pick a camera for was uh, Bill Smith. And Bill Smith loves his SLRs. He loves manual controls and manual focuses, which is why I selected for him a camera that just picks everything for him except the focal length. And that is the Minolta Weathermatic 35DL, which I got in the Emulsive Secret Santa Exchange. And it is... As the name implies, it is designed for use underwater, in bad weather, it is plastic, it is bulky, and it is quite yellow. Oh yeah, it's uh, you cannot miss this camera. Uh, for those who are long-term listeners who have uh, listened to previous, uh, these sort of secret camera exchanges or you know mystery camera exchanges, you know that I've always had bad luck with whatever I wound up with. But you're this, not bitter. Oh, no. No, no. The therapy's over and the bad dreams have ended. <laughs> Especially with the one, the one with the red window, the Helena. Uh, we won't go into that. Now, this is also the first camera I've gone through a complete roll and not have it. <laughs> <laughs> I was very careful and did not pick a red window camera for Bill. Yeah, so... I'm used to a high degree of control. Now, I'm, I'm not only shooting manual focus, I'm also shooting autofocus with Nikon F5s and F90Xs, F100s, etc. I've got a lot of high degree of choice on how I can dial things in with those cameras. The Minolta Weathermatic, you don't. I couldn't even set the ISO. Alex told me, yeah, it'll default to 100 ISO. Because I bulk had a bulk rolled um, of uh, Ilford Delta 100, and it feels so bad for not telling you that it, you can't adjust the ISO manually. My my bad on that one. But again, it defaulted to 100 ISO. <sighs> the universe is on my side. Are you sure, Alex? Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Now, again, it's like there is a. It's an autofocus camera. It is. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'd feel comfortable taking it underwater these days, but if it's in a downpour, uh, freezing rain, super wet snow, like you're going on vacation to the Mayan Riviera during hurricane season, yeah, I'd feel comfortable with this camera. What you lose out of it is you have no idea how it's metering. You've got a viewfinder. You've got a choice between 35 and 50 focal lengths, which you can change with the press of a button. That's it. You point, you compose, you shoot, the end. Uh, there's an automatic fill flash, which was sort of going off like crazy during uh, my walk today. Um, well, we'll see what happens. Again, it's bright sunshine. It'll fill in some of the shadows for anything close up. Um, we'll see. But in terms of a user experience, it, it sort of yanks a whole 
whole levels of decision making out of the equations, then it's just like, then you're just making decisions vis-a-vis composition with what you got. And again, it being autofocus, I think then it's really your big question is, does this puppy focus and take the fil- the, the, sh- the photo fast enough to catch certain subject matter? We'll see. Um, that said, it's Alex says it's bulky. To me, it's not too bulky. Uh, yeah, it's about the average, I guess, for an early 1990s sized point and shoot camera, which this is. Uh, yeah. About that, give or take. Yeah. It reminds me roughly the size of a Leica M5, but I think that's where the similarity is. Actually, the M5 is bigger. Because yeah, yeah, well, yeah well, remember like the M5? Yeah, people didn't like it because it was too bloated. Hmm. So uh, you could shoot this instead. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to say. Again, it's 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 plastic everything. It's weather sealed. So again, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not sure I'd want to go underwater with it. Uh, there are other cameras that do it better. But if you're going out in torrential rain, hurricanes, snowstorms, um, yeah, this this camera could work for you nicely. Uh, I, I'm not sure about snowstorms because again, you'd have to compensate for the snow, but it actually doesn't do too bad in the snow. Well, again, uh, again, it's from from a user standpoint, you can literally just focus on taking the image. It's it's in some ways, it's it's a very sophisticated Holga with a brain <laughs> and a lot of weather sealing. Yeah, definitely. And I can't stress weather sealing enough. It is, it will stay. You know, the innards will stay dry during a thunderstorm. Yep. And even the lens. And one of the best parts I like about this is the fact that it has this um, sort of cover over the front of the lens element. Mm. And it doesn't affect the image quality. Oh, that's even better. So the one person I had the most trouble picking a camera for is John. And that's because John's done a lot of photography and has used a lot of cameras. And my initial thought was to use the uh, Agfa Click 2 for him. But I thought, yeah, that's a little too normal in the sense that it's fairly consistent. It has a 6x6 image frame. And then I sort of looked next to the Click 2 and thought, well, maybe my 1915 um, Hawkeye Model C like, ah, you know, that gives fat rolls. And then I realized, well, why not the Isoli Jr.? And the Isoli Jr., produced by Agfa, is interesting because it was designed for children. And John, being the oldest member of the CCR team, and has shot a lot of various cameras around, would get a kick out of this one because... It takes 120 film, but it's not 6x9. It's not 6x6. It's kind of 4x4. It's a very ish camera. Ish. Yeah, that's about right for the Isoli Jr. I think it's a WTF camera. Yeah, definitely. I have shot it, and actually, I enjoyed shooting it. I'm interested to hear what John has to say about it. Yeah. Well, let me put it this way. Um... 
to me, the, exp- the experience was, you know, you heard freedom to, this is freedom from. Like, let's, let's say you're going out with a typical um, vintage film camera. Oh, I better bring spare batteries in case these conk out. Well, this thing doesn't take batteries. Or you're taking a picture of a, of a complex lighting arrangement. Say, where do I put zone five? Don't worry about it. Press the button. Uh, or how should I meter this scene? You don't. Um, it's a camera with uh, one shutter speed that sounds roughly like one thirtieth of a second. And even though they're not labeled, there are two f-stops, which are actually sort of tied to the focusing ranges. The f11, that's like, so I'm not going to call f11 wide open. Sorry, just just won't. That's, that's for the, the close-up, aka 4 to 13 feet. I think roughly that was it. And then f16 is the... Uh, is basically 13 feet to infinity. So you basically get to choose which parts of the image are blurry. And F16, I guess, I'm not going to worry too much about diffraction. I don't think that's a, a huge issue. But like all kidding aside, it was fun to shoot. As uh, I think it was Bill said, it was a bright day, so sort of a sunny 16 day. So uh, uh, Alex had given me sort of a heads up in terms, of, he didn't tell me what the camera was, but he said, "Here's your rough shutter speed. Here is the apertures available. Look at the weather forecast and plan accordingly." So I did not bring El- uh, Ilford Delta 3200. I brought a roll of uh, Fomapan 100, and I'll pull it a stop for 50, and that'll basically give me sunny 16. And it was fun to just shoot, and. Of course, there was still a th- there was a thought process involved, but a different thought process. You're basically, you know, you know, shoot things that are sunny. You know, don't go for the deep shadow because it's just not going to uh, not going to work. And and also, you know, think about your distance. You know, look for things that are further afield than let's say the usual close up. So it's interesting to have those constraints sort of inform your process and just basically sort of switch your eye a little bit and have you looking for different things so like i would i would recommend you know that as a great exercise for anyone to do like i'd recommend anyone especially if you have the high-end gear um get get i'm not gonna say a piece of garbage but get something that's a bit more primitive and uh and i think it will inform your work and and also like like bill said there are people who uh who do amazing work with primitive cameras? Like I'm, I'm thinking of the crappy camera club, out of oh, yeah. Michigan, Ann Arbor, Ann yeah, Arbor. and and also a friend of mine, uh, Katharina Rivera, who was a photographer in Maine. She shoots with uh, you know Holgas and stuff like that, you know. So work that has cameras that have technical limitations, but her work is uh, is absolutely amazing. Like and that's and that's the thing. Like if you have like a high-end you know especially you know don't want to get the digital versus film thing going but if you have a high-end digital camera you know your picture your pictures will likely be technically perfect and there might not be and technical technical perfection will take you a fair distance in today's world I'm not that's not a good thing but people who are shooting the uh, the primitive cameras they have nothing to hide behind they can't hide behind sharpness or you know 
even f- uh, frame coverage or anything like that. All you have is their eye, their heart, and their soul. And a simple camera that just doesn't get out of the way. So, like, this is a great exercise. I think, like, I don't really have any cameras like that. Well, I've got some Brownie Hawkeye 620s. Um, three of them going cheap. Uh, but uh, it, it, I think I want to try and find a 120. Like, maybe I'll get a Holger or something. Because this is a useful exercise that... Uh, every photographer should do on a regular basis because it's not easy it's a different kind of challenge mm. uh, definitely and <clears throat> I feel really bad because I've only ever shot one roll through the Isoli Junior and the results I got were fantastic for a uh, single element lens fixed shutter speed it just delivers and you can see why EGFA did so well in those post-war years where they were trying to figure out right and cameras like the Isoli Jr. really contributed to that economic miracle. Speaking of miracles I will add one more thing shooting in this kind of situation shows me just how important the film Verichrome Pan was. Yes. Because this was a film yes. designed to be brutalized. Basically, I think the range is something like seven stops over to two stops under. Yep. Because with a camera with one shutter speed and two apertures, yeah, it is what it is. Oh, absolutely. And I have an Agfabox 60 that belonged to my Opa Ostuk. And the images that it produced and I've seen those images are spectacular because this was the camera that was gifted to him by his company when he emigrated to Canada. So these are the first photos of my mom and I have that camera. It, It sits on the shelf. It sits on the other shelf of family cameras. So, and because it wouldn't be complete without having a camera selector for me, I chose John to actually pick a camera out of his collection for me to shoot without any knowledge except for the film format. Well, I couldn't find my Kodak disc camera. No, sorry. I have never owned a Kodak disc <laughs> camera. I um, have. It shocked me. <laughs> so I had to think because I don't, I don't have a lot of weird cameras. So I said, well, I'll go obscure. And so what I got, was, or what I have, was a camera that I've never shot with. Uh, in a lot of respects, is conventional, but is rather obscure. It is the um, Graflex Century 35. This is a 35mm rangefinder camera, basically uh, made by Kawa, in, uh, a company famous in Japan for making low-budget medium format gear. Um, Made, made in Japan and then rebadged by uh, rebadged ooh, uh, rebadged by uh, Graflex in the United States and I guess Canada as well, from 1958 to 1960, two-year lifespan. That tells you how successful it was. So you don't see a lot of them around, but still worth shooting. I liked this camera. I like obscure, I like unique, 
um, cameras that fit into a weird part of photographic history. And it's interesting, a few months ago, I was on the AB Collectibles site, and AB Collectibles, they're out of Canada, and they have a fabulous website. They, We really should have the gentleman behind the site on the show for an interview. Oh, great idea. They not only sell cameras, they sell lenses, they do repairs, they sell expired film, um, accessories, you name it. They have it up on their site. And yeah, some of the prices are fairly expensive, but you have to realize that the gentleman behind it has sunk a lot of time and material into making sure that this equipment works. He reseals them. And I was just about to go on the site and buy one of these Century thirty um, Century 35s, and I went back on, and it was sold out. So when John handed this to me, I was super excited. And this camera was actually really fun to use, and I shoot a lot of SLR work, so going with a rangefinder was perfect. The rangefinder patch was bright, lots of contrast, focusing was easy. Took me a bit to figure out where the the uh, lever was to adjust the aperture. But I figured it out. Kawa Optics are f- fabulous. They've done a lot of third-party uh, lenses that are renowned um, for the SLR range. So I had no problems. The 40 millimeter was a bit weird, but 40 millimeter seems to be a normal lens for rangefinder. So I didn't really think about it. Um, there was um, bright finder frames and including a line across to sort of show where to sort of compose the top of your frame. I was smart and brought a external um, meter for this because I was shooting uh, Fomapan 400. I exposed it at 200, so one stop overexposure. I'm going to pull it in processing using Spur HRX. So I have I have really good, um, I have really high hopes for this camera. John did at least warn me that was there was a bit of a frame overlap issue not so much overlap as in it doesn't advance far enough so very fine but i use like a frisker um paper cutter so it has a cable across it that i can sort of line up where the blade will go so that will be no problem it was a fun camera to use i don't use enough range finders and i'm definitely glad that i had a chance to use it It was a lot of fun, very simple. I sort of picked a shutter speed. The one thing to note on this camera is that it uses the older shutter speed scale. So instead of 125th of a second, it uses 1 100th of a second. But it does go all the way up to 1 500th of a second. So if you are shooting in lower light and you're using a faster film like a a Fomapan 400 at full box speed... Uh, Triax HP5, you do have the capability to do that, especially in bright conditions like we were using today. I would say God knows how many decades it's been since that thing had a CLA. Uh, yeah. So that 500th shutter speed right now might be somewhat theoretical. 
Yeah, well, the one one hundredth of a second sounded about right. And it is a leaf shutter, and it does have a cold shoe on it. So if you wanted to mount like a Voigtlander external meter or a Raveni Lab shoe leader shoe meter, it will work perfectly. I just really enjoyed working with this camera. Or put a Vivitar two eighty three flash unit on it, just because it would look so silly. <laughs> Jeez. Ah. Oh. Those things are beasts. I mounted one of those on a Holga once, and it, like, tipped it forward. I'm surprised that Vivitar Flash didn't melt the Holga. <laughs> it might have. It might have. Like, they, they, they've warned safe, uh, repair techs, be careful with this Flash unit, because it's an inverter in there. It only takes four AA batteries, but the power it can generate can kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Not to mention, you know, if you, you put one of those old things on a digital camera, you're frying yourself. So that 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 disc camera where I said I I mentioned about it that it that it shocked me was I had f- been given a Kodak disc camera. And this was in the age where I just if it was electronic, I wanted to take it apart. So I had undo all the precision screws on the outside and it still wasn't coming out. So I took my trusty Swiss Army knife, stuck it inside and pried it open, except that I touched the capacitor. Pow. This is why if you don't know what you're doing, don't open the CRT monitor. (laughs) Yes. Well, you have to realize the first time I got electrocuted was at age four. When I thought, oh, I wonder what happens if I take out the bulb out of my my bedside lamp, stick my so, fingers in the socket, and throw the switch. So, Alex, how far across the room are you tossed from trying to open that disc camera? Not that far. The most furthest I've been thrown is across an entire office, and I woke up to my manager, who's from Brooklyn, swearing at facilities and a manager with a Brooklyn accent. That explains the pictures of you with an afro. (laughs) And listening to old Beastie Boy albums. (laughs) Don't sleep till Brooklyn. You've got to fight. For your right. To party. (laughs) And speaking of parties, we are coming into the fall season, which means that a lot of film photographers are starting to load color film and thinking about covering fall colors so this was a topic brought up by james lee about what films and how to meter and cameras and lenses to start shooting fall colors so james take it away all right so um as alex mentioned fall is coming up and um do a a quick uh quick uh poll here who here likes to shoot fall colors I see a lot of hands. Come on, John. Well, I'm more of a black and white film yeah, I dude figure, now. I know. I Same that. here. Yeah. Whatever. It's okay, Bill. It's you and me, man. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. The cool kids. The cool kids. Um, so, obviously, fall means color, I think, for a lot of folks. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the things to think about shooting in fall. Uh, the nice thing about fall photography, at least in my opinion, is I think it's a lot easier to shoot. Um, we tend to get a lot less harsher light. Um, 
we uh you know the sun is generally lower in the sky so it's golden hour for a longer period of time um myself personally i like to shoot a lot of slide film um uh in fall uh and i like to shoot um primarily uh, Provia 100. I generally tend to stay away uh, from films like Velvia um, and E100 um, simply because I just don't think their their color palettes, in my opinion, are less aligned with warmer fall colors. And as far as E6 film that goes out uh, that's available right now, uh, for me, the only thing that really goes well with fall would be Provia 100. Um, uh, you could try E100 uh, uh, as well, um, but I do find the color palette on E100 is a little bit cooler and um, Velvia is a little bit more neutral. Um, I would stay away from a Velvia type film simply because it tends to fall into the more magenta cast, in my opinion, the magentas and purples, which to me doesn't really lend itself to and traditional fall photography. Really, Velvia 50 is a bit too saturated it's, even. it's it oversaturated makes and, and, and it look yeah, like artificial almost absolutely and when i say it like falls into that sort of magenta palette too much it's oversaturated in magenta i think and they, i i kind of look at something like velvia and again i'm not a, a huge slide shooter velvia for me is a summer film yep mm. shoot it now it, I shoot like in it. august shoot it in july You'll be happy. I like it for sort of cool sunset type of photography, if you will. Like you want dramatic skies and kind of something out of the ordinary. Velvia fits that bill. Um, in terms of like, say, C41, um, I really think Ektar is a really well-suited film uh, for fall photography. It also is a little bit more of a saturated film. It's a little bit, um, you know, uh, more so on the, on the warmer side. Um, I would be really interested to see what 400D would look like for fall photography um its color palette seems really well suited uh for that as well i know bill's been been shooting it oh i love 400d i've shot to date i think i've shot four rolls of it uh two through a canon new f1 and the other two through my nikon f5 um i'm headed on a photography retreat northern muskoka at the end of sort of End of September, early October, so we're near Algonquin Park, so we may or may not catch peak fall colors. Uh, 400D will be along for the ride, yeah. but I'm also going to, and again, I'm more of a, these days, more of a C41 shooter just because I'm spoiled that I have a really good lab within a roughly about a 20-minute drive of me. Uh, like you, I highly recommend Kodak Ektar 100. It kind of, in some weird ways, depending on how, if you meet her, if you get it just right, it almost kind of sort of looks like Kodachrome. Yeah. Depending on how you scan it. Now, when I'm shooting it, uh, and it's funny because it's like my choice of gear is kind of like, I think the more times I've gone on these retreats, I think the more sophisticated the metering in the camera has become as time has gone by, and of course, how much more expensive color film has become. Uh, you don't want to waste a frame. So last year I, I took up a Nikon F4, threw it on made color matrix metering, and off I went. This year I'm taking the F5 up, and it'll be the 3D color matrix metering because, again, it's like 
make every frame count. Yeah, that won't disappoint you. Yeah. Oh, I know. I have shock color. I've uh, I've shock color with my F5 uh, over the summer. Uh, on the off of the Fuji Superior 400 on, on a, a day trip to Toronto, the Toronto Islands. Again, not one bad frame, and, and it's like, uh, it, and again, Fuji tends to run tends to run a little cooler and it really kind of sort of depends on your lighting because again also you can get nice sunny days but also you're going to get more overcast days more days where it might rain for a wee bit then stop raining and it's just it's more changeable weather so you got your color your color film choices have to reflect that you want something that's easy to scan and it's got some dynamic range to it because again lighting like I remember one year, I think when I was up, I was uh, I was in Huntsville because it was just the weather was so miserable. We just didn't bother going out hiking. It was just like, yeah, let's just go to town. In hindsight, I probably should have pushed HP five to sixteen hundred. <laughs> it was that kind of day. Yeah. Oh yeah, I hear you. Um, yeah, look, you know what the 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 cool thing about you know shooting fall photography is that you're not necessarily limited uh, so much by the time of the day that you shoot so like you know a lot of you know landscape work and things like that generally you're going to either be waking up really early in the morning uh, or rushing around in the evening while the while the evening light is is fastly dissipating um you know depending on where you are so like you know if you want to shoot uh, th- this is my general approach to it is if, if I want to shoot uh, fall landscape photography, um, I generally shoot it where the landscape is front lit. Um, so the sun is behind me because I want the, you know, a lot of highlights falling on those, you know, golden exactly. leaves and things like that. And then, of course, as as you get into more like the zenith hours of shooting, so like the 10 to, to 2 p.m. where, you know, it's basically what I call the shitty part of shooting. Um, you know, as a wedding photography, that's, you know, that's when, when you got to work and it's the crappiest time to work. Um, but if you're in, you know, a forested area and there's a lot of bright colors and, and those leaves are getting backlit by that high sun, you can really do some cool stuff. You can really do some cool stuff with um, black and white as well um, in those situations and as well as infrared. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid to explore with IR films, um, you know, with fall photography when the sun is high in the sky and it's, and you're in a you know now, a forested area and now, it's backlit and things like that. Has so. anyone around the table shot with Lomochrome purple? Because yep. while I haven't, others probably have, and they're going to ask, what's it like for the fall? I, I am the worst person to ask because I have only shot it in the wintertime and the results were absolute shit. Um, and that's completely my fault, not the film's fault. But uh, uh, Don't worry, I shot Lomochrome purple in the winter and it was shit. Also, yeah. this is a film that is designed for the summer when you have green leaves, so late spring through the okay, uh, summer. Okay, so note to our, our fan base, if you're north of Ohio, uh, come like September, October, yeah, maybe put the Lomo Chrome ba- Purple back into the fridge. Mm. I was going to say that, uh, that James, you raised a good point about uh, you know stuff you're trying to shoot in in the fall, and you know it's it's very. I think the fall is one of those dangerous times of year because it's very easy to slip into very cliched 
trope kind of work. Here's the beautiful red maple against the blue sky. How can you go wrong? Yeah. Uh, but the fall can be more about that. Like it's it's a time of you know death and decay as well. Yeah. You know, get out the macro lens and you know look for those close-ups in black and white. Oh look, yeah. Look for look for the uh, the texture. In fact, if you've never shot, you know. There are people who will use color as a, cr- as a crutch mm-hmm. to shoot the fall. Maybe I'm going to be controversial here. But, uh, you know, get out the black and white and, again, put on a different set of eyes. Absolutely. And see what you can do. Oh, for or sure. Or you could yeah. go full-on cliche and shoot black and white in a Pioneer Cemetery. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> oh, I, I oh, could, dig that. I could yeah. dig that. But, Especially well, if you're using, like, FPP mummy film. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, that's a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> well, getting back to shooting those sort of cliche fall colors, I remember one year, like this is like eight eight years ago, I was up again in Algonquin Park. Uh, that weekend, we had nothing but blue skies. Like I was shooting because we were going into the woods, and again, it's darker in the woods than it's out in the open. Ran with Portra 400 back when you didn't have to like debate which kidney to give up or your child. Yeah, yeah child well, you only, sell, yeah. yeah, which child, you know, you, you kind of okay, you're off to your new, don't worry, they're nice people. Um, <laughs> but they shoot digital. So, yeah, uh, it was 2014. The colors were so bright, they were almost psychedelic. And, you know, I when I scanned them and I saw them in Lightroom, and it was just sort of, I almost had to pull them back in some regards, not because that wasn't what it was represented. It was, it's just other people wouldn't be able to understand that, yeah, it was indeed that all bright and psychedelic because it was so, the light was so pure, the colors are so pure, but that was like Mother Nature's saturation there for you. Yeah, so literally, Mother Nature pulled a Velvia on me, for lack of a better term, and it's like, okay, I almost have to dumb this down a wee bit because people are going, that's not like that up there. Yes, it was. No, it's not. So again, I had to do that in some regards, just so you know, it sort of looked kind of believable. Well, I think there there needs to be a room for subtlety in fall photography. Yeah, absolutely. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and 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 what fall brings aside from you know rich colored leaves and foliage and things like that is it also brings wet rocks. It exposes. Um, motion in things like landscapes with streams, mm. wet rocks, wet leaves on wet rocks, you know, soul like you know wet leaves on um on uh you know whatever and 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 the what what I find really cool about that is the amount of contrast that gives you naturally in the scene makes for some really really punchy cool images. Um and and equally um, as vibrant if you shoot them in color or black and white. So it's it's a huge opportunity, I think, to um, not only revisit the cliche, which I think is important. Like we all should be revisiting classical shots and things like that, and trying to reproduce them, or even go with something like. Instead of, if you can find Portrait 400, instead of taking Portrait 400 with you, take gold. Yeah. Shoot gold. Shoot shoot color plus 100. Shoot what, you know. Yeah, well, it comes down to that. You shoot the consumer films 
especially if you're staying at some old school resort, because again, something like that, you almost don't want perfection. You want kind of like, you want to harken back to a different age. So it's, it's, if it's super warm, that may not be a bad thing because you're, you're trying to pull an emotion out without having to. Exactly. Well, I think, you know, one of the things, you know, for me personally, and I'm sure it probably is true for a lot of others is fall imagery brings back a lot of memories uh, of your childhood. I think, Um, you know, some of our fondest memories I think are in fall, you know, hikes, camping, you know, fishing, all the stuff that we did as kids that, you know, kids do virtually today. Um, You know, to me, that brings back a lot of memories, but you know, I, for me, I think one of the biggest challenges about fall photography is predicting um, the color change and the leaves dropping. Um, and sometimes that can happen over a weekend. It can happen overnight. It can happen over three to four weeks. Yeah. Um, it really depends. I, I, I do your research. Now, again, this is very Ontario-centric. Ontario Provincial Parks has a fall color report. Yeah. yeah. And it'll tell you exactly where peak fall colors is uh, depending on the time of the month and it'll tell you okay Agonquin like Agonquin Park will have peak color first weekend October yeah and then it's gone but yeah I, I find it, my rule of thumb is if you have a dry end of summer or a very very dry summer for that matter don't expect the reds and things like that. You're gonna, it's gonna be a lot of yellows in the leaves, um, and it's not gonna last very long. If you have like mid-August, you're starting to get some rain. It rains in early September, and it stays warm throughout the month of September. You know, then come early October, you're looking at about two weeks, and I think mm. you're getting, barring any massive windstorms and things like that, that are gonna blow the leaves off the trees and rain. Um, if you, if it manages to stay dry the first half of October, what I find is that's the best time, at least where we live in, in Southern Ontario, sort of anybody around the 49th parallel, I guess that's probably, you know, what they would, uh, experience, uh, I'm guessing. Um, but it's what the experience for me has been here. So, you know, we're starting to get a little bit of rain. The temperatures are still warm. So my fingers are crossed that this fall is going to be pretty nice. We'll have some great colors. And the nice thing is, is that living in Milton, working in Oakville, especially at Sheridan College, I have very easy access to a lot of really great wooded areas. So hopefully I can use some of those uh, few rolls of gold 200 and 120 to uh, get some good fall colors. So uh, that wraps it up for this episode. My name's Alex Lokes. Um, Sometimes the best thing you can do for your own photography is to try something completely opposite of what you are used to. Uh, This is James Lee. Um, You know what? Get out there. Waste your money on film. Have some fun. You know, there's so many other things in life to complain about. Don't let film be one of them. It's Bill Smith. Yeah, splurge for color film. Fall is coming and you want to get it. This is John Meadows. Remember, sometimes the word KISS stands for Keep It Simple, Shooter. <laughs>